Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. News out of Denver, where the Broncos have reached an agreement with Sean Payton to be their next head coach. But boy, it comes at a price, and not just the big salary that Payton commands. Remember, he's still under contract with New Orleans for two more years. So Denver actually had to trade to get him. The Saints will reserve Denver's first-round pick this year. Then the Broncos get a second- and third-round pick in next year's draft. That's a lot to give up. He better be good. He was mighty good in New Orleans, 159 wins, including a Super Bowl. The Texans have their new head coach, longtime player turned defensive coordinator in San Francisco, D'Amico Ryans. He was drafted by Houston in 2006, won a Rookie of the Year award, went to three Pro Bowls, and is still the franchise's all-time leading tackler. The deal reportedly is for six years. College football UC schedule is out. It's first season in the Big 12 Conference, and what a way to start it. Their first game in the league at home against Oklahoma, September the 23rd. Other conference home games include Iowa State, Baylor, UCF, and Kansas. The Bearcats will not play Texas or TCU. Big news on the local front in college basketball. We'll ask Paul about this later. Xavier will be without arguably its best player for the next four weeks. Zach Fremantle is a left foot injury, the same foot he had surgery on that caused him to miss the start of last year. It will not require surgery this year. And Sean Miller said he hopes to have Fremantle back by the end of February, early March. Tonight, Xavier faces Providence at the Centos Center. That's at 6 o'clock. Those two, along with Marquette, are tied atop the Big East standings. In conference play, Fremantle has averaged 18 points and nine rebounds per game. UC back on the hardwood at home tonight against Tulsa, seven o'clock tip. Last night, a ton of big games in college hoops. UK, 15 and seven now, rolls over Ole Miss. Dayton beat Loyola Chicago. Toledo downs Miami. Ohio University has decided we're gonna stop guarding anybody. They fall to Eastern Michigan, 90 to 79. Number eight, Kansas, knocks off number seven, Kansas State. Indiana loses at Maryland, and TCU beats West Virginia in Fort Worth, 76-72. Big show today. Marty Brenneman coming up in a matter of moments. We have James Rapine coming up about 10.35, and then Dan Horde, the voice of the Bearcats and the Cincinnati Bengals. To, I guess we're at the point where, we're, fellas, we're ready to... Tie a ribbon around this 2022-23 uh, Cincinnati Bengals season. And apparently, Brandon, Paul, good morning to the two of you. Hello, Tom. Uh, Brandon, you uh, may have caught a cold, I understand, being in the cold in Kansas City. Yeah, but I'm a gamer. So I'm here, ready to go. Would you consider me a gamer? Gamer. Gamer, okay. I just gamer, to sure. ready to go. Got to be a gamer. 
Paulie, we're going to talk more about this Fremantle thing. I mean, I can't believe, you, you know, you are the equivalent of Casey when it comes to Xavier basketball. Oh, no. Yes, you are. No. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, Paul's a For realistic. any team in the country, no. and just so you know, I no. walk in this morning, no, and uh, Paul comes in, and I say to him, man, it, it just stinks. I mean, you know, I, I don't care if you're a fan of this team, that team, whatever it is. Um, you hate to see a guy. Uh, when you're having the kind of season that Xavier is having, you hate to see a guy, like I said, conference play, 18 points, nine rebounds a game. Guy's been an animal. He's been a heck of a player there really all four years. Um, and to go down with an injury now, and at least four weeks are talking about, and the first thing Paul says, ah, you know, they're all good. Wow. They're all good. It's like the offensive line. Guys have been their best player. Didn't say that. The Guys have been their best player uh, in the conference. In the conference. In the conference. Yeah, he's been very good. Uh, we can talk more about it later if you want. But I guess just my general overall impression of it um, is that, you know, we have a sample size of this already. Zach basically didn't play much last year uh, in the NIT. So we've seen what happens when you can slide Colby Jones down to the four and you can play this lineup the way it is. The reason that I'm not so pessimistic about this injury for Xavier is because you're upgrading defensively. Zach was a liability defensively this year for Xavier. Yeah, he scored a lot, but this team's problem is not offense. The team's problem is defense, and you're upgrading defensively. Now, where you have an issue is that you're completely out of depth now. So that's the issue. But I think they will be able to make up the scoring and the offensive output will be – it'll be okay. Defensively, Jerome Hunter is a better defender than Zach Fremantle is. The question is, if anybody else gets hurt, then you're really up a creek without a paddle. So from there, we'd, we would see where it would go. Um, but I, I don't think – But rebounding's got to be an issue. Come on. I mean, nine rebounds a game is getting it done now. No, you're right. You're right. Jerome Hunter, Colby Jones, both good rebounders. I don't think that this is as big of a blow as a guy like if Sule Boom had gotten hurt or if Colby Jones had gotten hurt because Jerome Hunter can slide right in there and, and hopefully fill that production. You're going to have to fill like 25 minutes here, 25, 28 minutes. Where do you get those minutes from? I don't know. We'll see. It's uh, Tonight will tell us a lot about the trajectory of the next month. They should put you in. You'll be there. 6-3. Don't 6-3, have a lot of ready to go. Me. Got some eligibility, but no meat on my bones. Brandon, does that not sound like Casey – in not Xavier as, blue covered glasses. Not as much. Not as much. Oh I'll defend my Paul. God. Not as much. Big game for the Cats tonight against uh, uh, Tulsa. Tulsa. Right? Tulsa. All right. Last ever game against Tulsa. And yeah. hey, hey, you know what? Um, that UC football schedule. Uh, I failed to mention that, by the way, out of conference, they have a big game at Pitt. Yes. That's a good game. That's, gonna That's be a fun. really good game. UC is not afraid to schedule, even when they were in the American. They're not afraid to schedule big games out of conference. They, they, they've got a couple layups, but, I mean, when you're going down in the Big 12, you're allowed to have layups. Everybody has them. Uh, Alabama has them. Ohio State has them. Ohio State, by the way, uh, interesting note came out yesterday. Ryan Day meeting with the media about the upcoming season. Um, I think it's interesting just because, um, you know, you have a head coach, and we have the same thing on the pro level here with the Bengals, where the head coach has been the play caller. And Ryan Day has decided that in the spring, he is going to allow his new offensive coordinator, Brian Hartline, former great receiver at Ohio State, outstanding receiver in the NFL, 
has been their wide receivers coach. Um, he's going to call the plays in the spring. And that means, you know, when they, they do their scrimmages leading up to the big spring game uh, that every team has. I, I find stuff like that really interesting. When you've got guys who are highly accomplished, and I think every year of the day has been the offensive coordinator at Ohio State, or head coach at Ohio State, and play caller. They've averaged over 40 points per game. And so to think, and they scored 40 in the, in the game against Georgia. They, they lost by one. Uh, to think, though, that you would consider handing it off to somebody else is pretty interesting. I mean, would Zach Taylor consider that? I don't know. I'm not suggesting he should. But I'm just saying that it's interesting that somebody who does it regularly and is very successful at it is at least open to the idea that maybe you need to do things a little bit different. Were you starting to say something there, Brandon? Well, I was going to go back to UC. Yeah. UC, one of the cool things about this schedule and obviously having West Virginia now in your conference again, and it fits well with Pittsburgh being on the schedule too out of conference, is we have these drivable games now, which when I was in college there and UC was in the Big East, there was multiple years where I would go on the road to Louisville, West Virginia, Pitt, like it, it's just so easy to have four or three or four schools that are drivable. The American, you had nothing. Yeah. Like there's, you can't go to any road games unless you fly to UCF. Like that's the only one you really want to go to. Yeah. Um. So it's super cool for that. Um. Going to be interesting to see what uh what the team looks like and how they bounce back from not only losing their head coach but losing a lot of talent the last couple of years. And you open up with Oklahoma in Big Twelve play. Yikes. Pretty exciting. Yeah, it'll be fun, though. The whole quarterback thing is going to be fascinating to watch at UC. They got like seven there, right? Yeah, and, and they've got some talented dudes. Uh, I'm not sure I'd want to be Evan Prater oh, no. uh, at this point. <laughs> just cut that Uh-oh. Out. Oh, we there just, he is, a Hall of Famer. We just All decked out. Uh, you got your buddy Millie there. Good morning. Millie's right here, man. I think everybody wants to know what's that on you. I mean, did you spill some egg egg whites there on your uh, your, your your pink uh, pullover there? You got something going on there? No, I think you would not know this. Well, you see, you don't wear anything as classy as this, so you would not realize. Stop, Millie. This is the logo of the company that made this pullover. Oh, really? She's on. Well, wait yeah. a minute. Don't they have a logo already on the on the chest? So they have two logos on it. Right here. That's my good friend Sam Baker's company. Oh, okay. You know, Sam, former the big guy. Kroger guy, right? No, 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 no. Was he was Sam? Who am I thinking of? Sam, is the one that, Sam and his wife Liz are the two right folks that Amanda and I went to Ireland with. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, that's very, very nice. Yeah. Boy, classy. How was the Reds' caravan besides you getting sick? Well, I was there for one day because I had an intestinal problem. I had to come home, but uh, it was all right. I, I was with a good group. I, I was with Nick Crawl and Chris Sabo and uh, Jamie Ramsey and uh, Ryan Rizzo. And uh, we were with uh, three players, uh, uh, one who played big league ball with the Reds last year, Aleo Lopez, and then two minor league players, uh, Tyler Callahan and a kid that's they then I think this kid's got a chance to really be an exceptional big league player. 18 years old, his name is Cam Collier. His dad played in the big leagues years ago with uh, Lou Collier, played with the Pittsburgh yeah. Pirates. Yeah, I, I remember Lou Collier. Um, what was the reception like? I mean, look, you know, we've talked about it on the show. 
Uh, right. The Reds, at least on paper, don't look like they're going to be a competitive team in terms of reaching the postseason. Although, look, you, you, you never know. You can catch lightning in a bottle. But with all the things that have gone on, uh, the franchise hasn't gotten a lot of good pub. What was it like out on the road? Because that's where you get a real feel for it. Well, you know what? The people that uh, we crossed paths with, uh, at least on Friday, and I understand when I had to leave them and they went on to Lima and Dayton on Saturday, that the reception was extremely good and extremely polite. There were, uh, you know, isolated cases where there was someone who would ask a question who would be mortally over the top, so upset with the way things have gone. But by and large, people were pretty good. I, I Quite honestly, I think we were all surprised that the negative comments um, were at a minimum uh, over the one day I was there. And based on what I was told about the second day, the same thing occurred. Uh, now, the crowd, uh, we had a big crowd um, Friday night at the Polaris Fashion Ball in Columbus. Uh, we signed autographs solid for two hours. Um, and I think they had pretty good crowds in Lima and also in Dayton on Saturday. So I, it, it, if I were asked were the crowds lower than normal, I would say somewhat, but not nearly to the extent that one might have expected given the kind of year they had last year. I know you not, you like Nick Crawl and think he has a chance to be a really good general manager. Of course, every person in that role, they can frequently, and this is a case with Crawl, get constrained uh, by, by salary demands from ownership. But, but what is it you like about Nick Crawl? Well, I like, I like the fact that I think he's a very knowledgeable baseball guy. He's been around the game forever. Uh, starting when he, I think he was a bat boy with the Oakland A's a million years ago. And um, and you're right, the constraints he's operating under uh, financially, I don't think anybody can say Nick Kroll's a good general manager or Nick Kroll's not a good general manager. I don't think anybody can draw that conclusion. But I've been very impressed with the way he's dealt with this situation. Um, hey, let me tell you something. In my estimation, anybody can be Brian Cashman, for God's sake. Anybody can. I don't give a damn who you're talking about. When you have an unlimited uh, money situation where you can trade for or sign whoever you want to, I could do that. Uh, so I, I think you judge you, you you better judge a guy like a Nick Kroll who's operating uh, with an uneven playing field in terms of trying to improve his ball club and waiting for the day when these young minor league players who they received through trade the last couple of years uh, mature into, they hope, obviously, productive big league ball players. So I, I have I have great – I have a, a lot of faith in him. I, I understand the situation he's operating under, and I'll always be steadfast in my support of Nick Kroll because I think the guy uh, – who can do an outstanding job, and hopefully the day will come when that statement is borne out. You know, I, I always wonder sometimes uh, trying to walk in another person's shoes, and of course we can't do it, but but you've known him long enough and well enough and all these kinds of things. Um, I'm amazed sometimes, and maybe when he goes home at night or, or closes his office door or whatever it might be, I don't know, maybe he never does it. Um, about how a guy in that position is asked so frequently to just chew on their tongue 
and maybe not say some of the things that they'd want to say or like to say or whatever it might be. I mean, there are only 30 of these jobs in the world, so you love having the job and the opportunity. But you're right. I mean, knowing you're behind the eight ball on a competitive level, it's got to be tough. I, I think waking up every morning and, and having to deal with it, uh, it, it we, I don't think we can understand. I yeah. don't think we can understand that. Again, I, as I, I, I use Brian Cashman, and I don't do that negatively because I'm sure there are internal situations that he has handled uh, very well. Obviously, you know, being GM of the New York Yankees, uh, along with unlimited financial resources, carries with it uh, certain situations that I would imagine, especially when, when the boss was around, George Steinbrenner, and now his sons. Um, but that, to me, that job is an easier job than the job that Nick has to deal with. And, and so, you know, if people want to be critical of him, all I would say to them is just try, just withhold judgment for a couple of years and let's re, re, regather and talk about uh, what's transpired in that time. I don't think anybody can deny that the people that he traded for when he was forced to deal away the Winkers of the world and the Suarez's of the world and people like that um, to unload salary uh, he received value in return, but immature value in return. Uh, I mean, all you got to do is look at they're now ranked by Baseball America, either third or fourth best farm system in Major League Baseball. Now, I, I agree. I don't care who you're talking about. Uh, guy could be the number one pick in the nation, but they're still coming out of high school and college, and they are still a roll of the dice because you never know how a kid's going to react once he gets into the pros. But I like what he's done. Uh, just withhold judgment. Don't badmouth him because things are not going well because he doesn't have the financial wherewithal that a lot of other ball clubs have. All right. Uh, I want to shift gears because we always love getting your input on college basketball as our show is now starting to evolve into college basketball and baseball and all that kind of thing. It looks like your Tar Heels are starting to get it together a little bit. Well, we'll see. They uh, Their defense has been better. Um, they are playing uh, Pitt tonight in Chapel Hill, uh, a team that beat them back on, I think, uh, December 1st uh, by a few points. Uh, I think this is a better Carolina team that, uh, that Pitt beat earlier. And Pitt's had a good year under Jeff Capel. They've had a very, very good year. Um, I, I think they're improving, but I'm going to withhold judgment because – if you operate on the assumption that playing in Chapel Hill where they're 10-0 this season, uh, and they're playing Pitt tonight, but Saturday night they go to Cameron Indoor Stadium. And while this ain't no great Duke team either, um, we'll see how they fare against uh, John Shire's Blue Devils on Saturday night. They get through this, this week with two wins. Uh, I'll, I'll be ready to say that uh, we're we're getting now uh, the opportunity of seeing a, a, a late season surge by the Carolina team as they did last year. Um, I still am very concerned about Caleb Love. I don't think he's a good outside shooter. I don't think it, if this kid thinks he's ready to play in the NBA next year, so am I. Um, <laughs> but I really believe that he's intent on leaving school and and playing in the league next year. And if he does, I think he's making a mistake because he has not shown a lot of improvement in his ability to shoot the ball from the outside. 
I still maintain that next to Armando Baycott, R.J. Davis is the best player on that team. Um, so we'll see what happens this week. But I don't. I think there are other clubs that are showing signs of of uh, Duke. As a matter of fact, they had a, a two point win at at Durham last night against Wake Forest. I, I think that it, what I like about the college season this year, Tom, whether Carolina's in it or not, uh, you can sit down and I think realistically name eight or nine teams that have a chance of winning the national championship. And I think as far as parity goes, I think unlike college football, where you have three or four teams every damn year, in college basketball, you've got a whole bunch of clubs that if they get on a good run at the end, they can win the whole thing. We've got somebody in the chat, and, and I don't know if this is Jordan. I don't know if, it, if this is one of the terms you guys have, have tried to teach me in the Teaching Tom segment. But Jordan on here says, Marty's got a wet jumper. Does that mean his top is wet? Is that what they mean? Let me explain this one to you. So a jumper would be a jump shot. Oh, and, okay. And, I know what wet in reference to a jump shot. So that, shot. Mean, that means he's got a sick jump shot. Like Marty, so somebody's Marty making reference to my dad saying, if Caleb Love is ready for the NBA, then so is he. Yeah. I and mean, so they're saying he has a wet jumper. Yeah. Mar Marty, you're a good basketball. You're a hooper, aren't you? Lefty. Left-hander. I don't play. <laughs> Are you got, kidding? I'm 80 damn years old. Am I going to go down a basketball court and play? Come on, guys. We got a hoop in I'm the chatterbox studios. Come on team. out. Yeah, well, we got good a, luck on that. Well, we got a basket in here. Last thing I want to ask you about, and you brought it up with Duke. You're down there in North Carolina a lot. That roster, much like Kentucky, much like Carolina, much like Gonzaga, loaded with talent. What are they thinking yes. about John Shire down there? Well, I don't know. I that that's an interest. I don't think anybody's. Um, I don't think that there's a whole lot of criticism about John Shire in his first year, and and I think there are a lot of reasons for that. One, uh, he was personally handpicked by uh, Coach Shashevsky. I think that carries a lot of weight in Durham. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to stand up and start criticizing what John Shire has done when they know that Coach K was the one that handpicked him. Um, I think next year would you get a better read about the job that he's, that he's done or has not done. I think the biggest concern for Duke people, it, you know, kind of, they constantly measure themselves by how that team seven miles down the road is doing. But Carolina has had a record-setting recruiting season. Yep. yep. Uh, the class they've got coming in in 2024 is absolutely stupid. And, and I think the Duke fans have to be a little bit concerned about that because under Coach K, more often than not, when those two teams had gone head-to-head -head over a player or players the last 10 or 12 years, more often than not, Duke has won out. Uh, I don't think that's the case now. I think Carolina has taken kids away, and I'm talking about big-time kids, uh, kids that are highly touted and highly recruited by uh, most of the big programs across the country. So I think that's the biggest concern they have, rather than being critical of John Shire as a tactician, 
uh, or, uh, you know, as a, as a practice coach and all the other facets that go into making a guy a good coach. Yeah, I, I, I think that whole thing is going to be fascinating because you were around and you can remember better than I, but I was old enough to remember. Uh, you know, Duke went through a lot of this for a long time. They had Bill Foster there. They go to a Final Four when Jaminski and all that crew was there and Jimmy Spinarkle and those guys. And all of a sudden he leaves, and I mean things go in the tank. And Shashevsky's first number of years, they were terrible. Um, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen because they're one of the great brands in sports. But, man, you can fall off the table in a heartbeat if you can't get players. And well, you're you know, spot you're on with this North Carolina Duke thing because there is zero comparison in the players that those two schools are bringing in over the next two years. Yeah, well, you're true. That's right there. Uh, I can remember – I did a game, uh, and I don't remember what – I guess it was the second season that Krzyzewski coached at Duke back in the early 80s where they came into Louisville to play the Cardinals. I went with you for that free. game. I was there with you at that game. And and Louisville won that game by around 50 points. Yep, yep. And he came – and, you know, there's been a documentary done – uh, on the team that saved Shashevsky's job was that's when he recruited, uh, you know, Mark Allery and uh, Jay Billis and, and that bunch of uh, Tommy, uh, the Dawkins kid, Johnny Dawkins, uh, Tommy Amaker, all of them came in at one time. And all of a sudden, a woefully poor Duke team turned into a team that was considered one of the best in the country. And, and they took off from there. But, um, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out with John Shire. I, I, I have sympathy for him because, you know, having to come in and replace a guy like Mike Krzyzewski, uh, I think less so, quite honestly, when Hubert Davis took the reins from Roy Williams, simply because Krzyzewski had been at Duke a whole lot longer as a head coach than that Roy had been at Chapel Hill, even though Roy won two national championships uh, in the 19 or 20 years or whatever it was that he coached in Carolina. Uh, Shire's got his hands full and, yep. and, and, uh, you know, with a transfer portal, it's a little easier now because you don't get completely shut out. If you can't recruit uh, on a particular year, you still can turn to the portal and, and get guys to come in and play from other schools. Well, it's like my main man, Ben Vanderplus, former Ohio university star now tearing it up for the Cavaliers in Virginia. I know he is. Last He's thing, a good go player. Ahead. We have the uh, Hammond. He's a good player. Yes, he is. He's a real good he's, player. He's a very good player. Yeah. yeah. Brandon, you had something for the Hall of Famer? Marty, I, I have a really serious question. Do you ever get sick of your son talking about Ohio University? No, I don't. You know, uh, we have a very good friend named Mark Wicker, who was one of the celebrated writers in the United States, sports writers. He uh, he and I hooked up together way back many years ago when he was working at the Winston-Salem Journal, and I was doing the Virginia Squires games, and he was a Carolina guy, and I was a Carolina guy, and he wrote a story about me. And then he moved on to the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, has just recently retired from the Orange County Register in Anaheim. And we had the pleasure, Amanda and I did, of having dinner with Mark and his wife last week uh, while we were out at Disneyland. And uh, it was a great night because a guy, he's a brilliant writer, and he told me to tell Tom 
that uh, he knew that Tom was kind of down in the dumps because OU had uh, lost its uh, football coach to uh, Southern Cal and lost the quarterback to Southern Cal. And he reminded me that, you know, Tom used to refer to Ohio University as OU, and Mark would ask him how OU was, meaning Oklahoma. So he used to (laughs) give Tom a big dig all the time, and he said, just please – Please remember me to Tom and tell him that things will get better in Norman. <laughs> I'm well, glad I asked. Well, that. you know, it's like it's like the thing is, people in Cincinnati better get used to being in the Big 12 Conference. I don't know what the hell's in the water out in some of these states in Oklahoma and Kansas, right? Right. Yep. Yep. The name of the school is the University of Oklahoma, but they go by OU. Go figure. They do, that's right. The name of the school is the University of Kansas, but they go by KU. You know why they do that? Oklahoma? No, I don't. Because they know, they know the real OU is Ohio University. 1804, first college west of the Allegheny Mountains in America. That's where real men are men. Shame on me. That's right. Hey, hey, Tom. Yep. Tom, before we I leave you, I want you to know that, and the, the boys will enjoy this, I spoke to uh, the folks at the Anderson, uh, the Anderson Senior Center on Monday. I do it every January, uh, talking baseball and whatever else they want to talk. They had a good crowd. And there were two women who came up to me at this function on Monday, one named Winnie Clayton and one named Lou Petrie. Those names mean anything to you? They do for some reason, and I and I'm you know I'm I'm trying to you know circle my mind. Go ahead, please. Those Tell two people that. talked to you. Uh, taught you at Anderson High School. That's where I I knew they were. Yes, absolutely. How are they doing? They're doing fine, and they just glowed in their admiration of you as a oh. person. And I I I said, how good was he? What kind of good student was he? And then I stopped myself. Yeah. And I said, no, that's not phrased right. Good yeah. student would imply that I'm interested in what his scholastic standing was. I know what the hell that was. Yeah, not good. I said, was he polite? Was he was he one who listened in class and didn't cut up? They said he was a picture of deportment. He was such a good young man. No question. No question. Good yeah, manners that? always. That comes from you and mom and you know, both sets of grandparents, and, you know, at least I was well-mannered. Maybe not and you're engaged and you're vo- academically, but good manners and polite and respectful. And your vocabulary comes from me. You know, I wish I had yours. I'm working on it every day. I got to figure out new ways you, to talk about You know what about. I'm talking about, big boy. And that's the problem. And that's the problem. Yes, it is. All right. Well, I love you. Have a great day. Thanks for the time today. I love you, too. All good right. chatting with you guys. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you next week. See you Absolutely. See Always you guys. great having him on. I mean, it doesn't get any better, right? No. Nope. Got an opinion on all of it. That's what I love. We're getting real opinions. Not this nonsense, you know, kind of like the video of, of Sirianni yesterday with his daughter sitting there going, blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> right? All right, um, what time we got here? Is James in yet or no? He's not in yet. Okay. Then let's throw it to the Ham and Eggers, and we'll bring in James Rapine in a moment. Gentlemen, take it away. Sounds good. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. 
and there it is. Ah, there we go. Uh, all right, so <laughs> we have cool door. so we have uh, we have James Rapine coming up here in two minutes. Then we have uh, Dan Horde coming up at eleven. We'll quickly, we'll go through go through a couple ads here. First of all, uh, we talked about the Bengals a little bit today. We're also going to talk about the Bengals with James Rapine. So the Bengals report. Is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. And Brandon... Is it uh, productivity or productivity? It's probably productivity. I was just curious. It's probably productivity, but that's a good question. Uh, what do you got to tell us about Pawnee water, Brandon? Well, there's a new premium alkaline water, and it's called Pawnee. Have to tell you, it does taste great. Were you about to sneeze? No. Oh, yeah, I thought you were just turning away from me. No, no. no. Oh, yeah, it tastes no. great. It's made right here in Hamilton. We have cases of it here at the office. Uh, there is no artificial processing like many of the other brands you see out there. It is the best tasting water in the world. You see it. Right in front of me, that is P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com is where you can get it. PawneeWater.com. It's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I see some comments in the chat. This is just what I was looking at. See some people talking about Dayton. Dayton, uh, Dayton has played down to their competition this year, to say the least. Uh, were you on Dayton last night? Did you see anything? I was Dayton? not. I think I, did they play VCU last week? They, pl they played VCU two weeks ago, and that was a disaster. Yeah, of a VC game. VCU won me some money, I think, on that. Yeah, one. so they, so Dayton was up in that game in a final minute by, I think, five. I mean, they were up by at least two possessions in that game and lost. Yikes. Disaster of a finish. Then last night, Dayton was up six with 42 seconds left. They have a bank in threes. So they, so they, so, <laughs> They gave up a three. Loyola hit a three. Loyola is the worst team in the A-10. Wow. Loyola hits a three. Dayton comes down. There's about a 10-second difference between the shot and game clock. So they don't have to foul. Loyola doesn't have to foul. It's a three-point difference. Dayton comes down. Misses a layup. Loyola comes down. Dayton elects not to foul. Up three. Banks in a three. We go to overtime. Dayton did win. But they can't be playing down a level Yikes. of competition like That's that. That's tough. Yeah. But they did win. They did win. Worst team in the league, though. But they did win. Loyola Chicago. Only one win in conference play. Tough. Tough. Uh, they the Golden Retrievers? Tough decline. No, Ramblers. Ramblers. Golden Ramblers. The Golden Retrievers were the uh, – that was UMBC. UMBC. I don't know if right. they were literally the Golden Retrievers. They were the Golden uh, – they were retrievers. Well, they were just the retrievers, I think. Is which what they school were. was the sister with uh, the with the sister nun. Jean? Yeah, that was that's Loyola Chicago. And they've fallen that far off the table. Oh, they're completely gone. Yeah. Well, Porter Mosier, Porter Mosier, the head coach, is now at Oklahoma. Well, so okay. when you have programs like that, a lot of times, I mean, you can sustain things for a little bit. But look at George Mason. They had Jim Laranega. Laranega went down to Miami. Mason was good for a couple years. And then they now have completely fallen. That Larinaga is a hell of a coach. Larinaga has been around. You talk about it. We talked yesterday about Bayheim and guys that have been around for a while and maybe should retire. Larinaga has been around for a while. But, man, Miami is always right there around the top of the ACC. He's a sharp dude, man. I mean, you know, he is a really sharp guy. Get a little crusty. You know, get a little nasty. But, um, boy, I mean, he can coach him up. And, I mean, if anybody's ever been down to that campus, oh, my God. 
That place. You ever been down there? That I, place is yeah. sweet, man. I, I've been to Florida many times, but I've never actually been to Miami. Uh, it's in Coral Gables, which is a little bit outside of the whole Miami. I mean, it is just. And a lot of people don't understand that. It's an incredible academic school. It's a private school. Um, highly rated in many, many. Our daughter was looking down there. And, and as soon as I got down there, I, I told sure. her. I said, look. I said, you can go anywhere you want to go. Not here. I said, but it ain't there. <laughs> it ain't there. Because that place, man, is just off the charts. They got a pretty good journalism school, right? They got a really good. That's they got a, a lot of good everything. I looked at a lot of good journalism schools. Didn't get into any of them. Yeah, they, well, yeah. I mean, well, you, you didn't go to the Ohio University. The Ohio University. Not Ohio State. It's the Ohio University. All right, um, James Rapine has been kind enough to join us frequently over the course of the season, and we're highly appreciative of that. He has nonstop his coverage of the Cincinnati Bengals. James, good morning. And uh, are, you, are, you, uh, are you like the coaches where you never stop working, or are you starting to catch your breath a little bit? Oh, no. I, I guess you could call me Coach James. There's, there's a lot of off-season stuff in the works. So I'll catch my breath for a second, but uh... – yeah, it's it's still it's still going to be a busy time for sure. Well, I'm glad you are. I can't hear him for some reason. Okay. I don't know why. Hold on, just a second. He, he, I got him on. Hold on, just a second. There we go. How about now? How Wait. about now, James? Can you say hello again, please? Yeah, I said you could call me Coach James. Got you got me. No. I don't know why. I uh, okay. Hold on. My just... headphones aren't working. I don't know what the deal is. So okay. Uh, hold on. I'm hold on. A just hard a time. Hold on. Just a second. We're okay. I go. We got our back. We got our backup offensive line in right now. We're we do, trying James. To figure it out. Yeah, we do. We we've got uh, everybody went decided to go to Kansas City and then just stick around for a college basketball game last night in Lawrence, Kansas. So um, um, we're I... all uh, working with uh, kind of like the Bengals' offensive line. Uh, three backups in that game, James, against Kansas City. Um, obviously it didn't, it, it was nothing similar in any form or fashion, and it's not to single them out, but we'll start with them. Nothing in any form or fashion similar to what we saw against Buffalo. No, it wasn't. It was, um, and honestly, that was expected. I, I didn't think that this Bengals team was going to be able to do that and have a duplicate performance on the road, Arrowhead obviously is a heck of a place to play and so the communication stuff was a major issue early on and uh, that set them back i think they score on that first drive if you don't have that false start by akima deneji on third and four they had converted it and uh I, I think they find a way to get points and instead you're behind the chains uh you get down early even though it was just three nothing and the chiefs had some momentum and chris jones and company they were able to get after joe burrow and for a, another year, that's the talk. Now, it's much different than in 2021 because those were the starters that they had. They had their starting line in versus three backups, like you mentioned. So I, I think, uh, you know, this Bengals offensive line, if they had been whole, this might be an, a different result, but it was just too much to overcome in a, a really tough environment. When you look at the offensive line, James, uh, uh, ahead to next year, um, you know that Kappa and Karras and Volson are all coming back. Uh, contractually, you have uh, obligated to both Lyle Collins and to Jonah Williams. 
Do you mm-hmm. think those two tackles are both back here next year? I do. And Jonah's locked up, signed, sealed, delivered, guaranteed, has, has one of the highest guarantees on the team, over $12 million because they picked up that fifth-year option. So unless they traded him, which I don't think will happen, then he's back. And I expect him to start at left tackle. And then as far as Lyle Collins, I don't think he's going to start at right tackle, at least initially. We'll see. And, and I, it's nothing against Lyle. I just think coming back from that ACL, he yeah. suffered on December 24th. And he has had surgery. But that's a tough ask to be back in eight months, you know, eight months from now, and uh, or, or less than that, eight months from, from when you had surgery and, and be ready to go. So they're going to need a backup plan at right tackle. Is that Jackson Carmen? Is that a draft pick? Is that a veteran they bring in? I'm not sure. Maybe it is a chemodenergy for a few weeks, but I do think Collins is around and, and will uh, we'll be on the team next year. Now, could they go another way? They could. I just think that they'll keep him around. Lots of talk, um, uh, speculation. Uh, Zach Taylor very close to the vest. He did acknowledge that some of these conversations are already taking place. Uh, inside the uh, hallowed halls of the Bengals' offices at Paycor Stadium. Obviously, they've got to be prepared for all of this. I want to ask you about a couple of guys, though, that have been uh, very, very oftentimes great players for this franchise uh, and their futures with this franchise. Uh, because you get into the whole thing about, yeah, what their salary is, but if you cut them, though, by a certain date, and there's a lot of rules and all this kind of thing, but what they would, mm-hmm. you know, count, quote, unquote, dead money on the cap space and that kind of thing. Salary caps going up again um, compared to this season and, and whoppingly so compared to two years ago. Um, Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd. Do you think both of those guys are here next year? If I had to bet, I would say yes. Let's start with Tyler Boyd. As big of a is a, a deal is not having your offensive lineman in, in three starters going down. They win that game, I think, if Tyler Boyd's out there because this Bengals offense is so reliant on three receivers. And I like Trent Irwin a lot, but the drop-off from Tyler Boyd to Trent Irwin is mountains, all right? There are multiple levels, as Tyler Boyd likes to say, big levels between the two. And it really changed their offense. They needed a guy like Boyd, a third option, and it, it allowed the Chiefs to do – it's something that it's tough to combat when you double both Chase and Higgins throughout the game. So that part of it, if you move on from Boyd, okay, it sounds good. You save money. Well, where's that money going? Is it going to a receiver? Are, are, are you going to draft a receiver at, at 29 overall? Are, are you going Because they are so reliant on three receivers. If you take one of those guys out, there's such a huge drop-off. I think they need to find a fourth receiver even if they keep Tyler Boyd. So – that's uh, that's certainly something that uh, they would have to answer. So I, I think he's back. It's the final year of his deal. We'll see. Joe Mixon is interesting. I, I think that you could make the argument to to move on from him. You look at that contract. You, you know there there would be uh, a much bigger cap hit this year moving on than next year. That one's much closer. I, I think you could easily make the argument that how ah, you bring back Piran at a team friendly deal. Uh, you know, maybe Travion Williams or you sign another veteran and you draft the guy, you could get similar production uh, with a a committee approach, which they they kind of had throughout the season anyways. But knowing the Bengals, knowing what Joe means in that locker room, I I just, I would lean towards him being back. But that one's closer to me. I look at Tyler Boyd. I think he's 
so valuable, even if the numbers aren't there, and the offense is much, much different when any of the big three, Higgins, Chase, Boyd, aren't on the field. When I look at the final four teams that were in conference championship games this year, it is as glaring as the sun on a, a, on a beautiful day. The one thing the Bengals do not have that everybody else had was a dominant difference-making defensive lineman slash linebacker that could get to the quarterback regularly. Now, mm-hmm. Hendrickson did that for two years. We know he broke his wrist this year. He was a complete non-factor, and I mean non-factor, in the final four games that he played in this year. Hubbard's a guy that's a good, solid, rock-solid player. That's not his M.O. as far as being a big pass rusher. Reader gives you some push and all that kind of thing in the middle. And Osai looks like he has a chance to come on. But with all of the decisions the Bengals have to make this offseason, James, do they need to go get – and maybe there's not one out there. I don't know. I don't know who's a free agent or who might get cut. Uh, is there a guy or should there uh, be the approach – that they need to go get a guy. Sure, absolutely. I, I think whether that's in the draft early, you know, and, and maybe that's with the 29th pick in the, the first round, or it's another edge rusher, another pass rusher to get to the quarterback, that is what this defense is missing. And Joseph Osai came on and was really good against the Chiefs. And I know everyone looks at the penalty, but he was really good if you go back and you watch that game. And Cam Sample came on towards the end of the year. Zach Carter flashed some. But I don't think any of those guys are what you're describing, right? And, and so, yeah, Hendrickson, he's your guy. But you need another guy of that level. And it's really hard to find them, no doubt about it. It's really tough. that They have a lot of decisions to make on defense. But I think that's one of them, where you, ha- you still have a couple of years of benefit uh, of, of having Joe Burrow on a rookie deal. That fifth-year option is still going to be um, – you're still going to be able to, to squeeze some some dollars in the cap and under the cap. And so do you go after uh, an edge rusher that, that can be a difference maker? I say you do. And the, the Bills were able to do that with Von Miller last year. It didn't work out. But this Bengals team is, to me, closer than the Bills were this year. Clearly, from a physicality standpoint, the Bills just were not that in the trenches by the end of the year. I think this Bengals defense, that's the one thing they're missing. And there's a lot of focus on corner and focus on different spots. But if they could add another pass rusher, whether it's interior or on the edge, I think that would go a long way towards helping this defense take another step, even though they'll lose some guys in free agency. Walk me through of the trio in the secondary. Um, everybody knows Awuzie is coming back. He was injured much earlier and thus has a jump on his rehab to be ready to go come July, August, whatever. Eli Apple, Von Bell, Jesse Bates. Any of them back next year? All of them back? Two of them back? One of them back? What do you think? All right, let's go in order. Jesse Bates, I just don't see a path. They've negotiated for two years. Clearly, the Bengals have an idea of what they're willing to pay Bates. Clearly, his agent, David Mulligetta, has an idea of what he wants to get Bates on the open market. And they're about to get to the open market because there's no way the Bengals place the franchise tag on him. It would be $14 million plus the, the extra percentage since they tagged him last year. So I think he becomes a free agent. I think he maxes out and, and ends up signing elsewhere. As for the other two, I think it's interesting. And 
let's talk about Von Bell for a second, and then we'll get to Eli Apple. Von Bell, he, he was kind of a an under-the-radar signing that the Bengals didn't necessarily plan on making in 2020, and he was still out there, and they're like, heck, let's go get Von Bell. Three years, $18 million, six, $6 million a year, and he's been a huge part of their locker room, huge part of their defense. What's his market? Because – He's. This is going to be his last prime year. You know, you get the last three years of his prime. Essentially, is it the same? Is it three years, eighteen million? Is it three years, twenty-one? Because if so, I want Von Bell around. Does he get into the the ten million per year range? I'm not sure he does. And so, his market's tougher to judge. But I, I think they would like to have him back. At the same time, you have Dax Hill, you have Tyson Anderson, you have uh, safeties, uh, young safeties that that you believe in, but. A tandem of Dax Hill and Von Bell makes a lot of sense to me in 2023. So I certainly think the path is open for him. And then Eli Apple is really interesting because you get the sideshow that comes with him and the the, the tweets and the, the dancing and all of those things, the waving to fans and everything that comes with Eli. But I thought he was pretty good this year. Yeah, I did too. And, and, and so what is his market? Do other teams want Eli Apple to deal with all of that? Does Lou Anarumo stay or go? I think that part matters as much as anything when it comes to Eli's future. If if Lou is still in town, I think there's a, a decent shot that, that Eli is back, even though right now it kind of seems like they might move on. I don't think they love the social media stuff and loved all, all, all of his antics, but he played pretty well. And so if you can get him at a bargain deal again, it's hard to find a veteran corner that can play at, at that type of level for a bargain. And so I, I certainly think there is a path. It might not be super likely, but there is a path for him to come back. Jermaine Pratt is a free agent, James. And, um, you know, uh, everybody knows the, the, the video that went viral walking off the field. And, and I have a hard time holding guys accountable for that kind of stuff just because of emotions. I mean, you've been going every day for months and months and months and you lose the way they did and the things that happened and, you know, I, I tend to give guys a lot of rope on that. Some people don't. Do you think that I that mean, will do you think that will affect his future with the Cincinnati Bengals and making a decision on whether or not to bring him back here? No, I don't think so. And by the way, he was right. <laughs> That's the, the thing everyone wants to oh man, what a bad team. Oh yeah, don't don't hit the, the top quarterback in the league on the sideline. Like I get it's frustrating and, and it sucks to hear, and he did it where someone uh, you know, recorded a video and it posted it, but he's also right. Don't make that play and put yourself in danger there. And that's the part no, my, not many people are willing to say. And I get it. It sucks for Joseph Osai, but you don't want to give, put the, the game in the hands of the officials, clearly. I think we've learned that now. And, and I think Osai has learned that. Th that said, I don't know. I, I think that the interesting thing about Pratt is he clearly doesn't love the way he was used this season. Mm -hmm. Multiple times going to social media, talking about how he was a three-down linebacker, how he should be out there. And so clearly the Bengals view him one way. He views himself another. And are the Bengals willing to pay a two-down linebacker? And that's how they view him. They played him on third down some, but two-down linebacker, the money he's going to want to get, even though he views himself as a three-down linebacker. I don't think so. So I, I think... He's going to find more money on the open market, and he's one of those guys that'll leave, and they'll look at maybe extending Logan Wilson, who's eligible for an extension this offseason. But as far as that, the locker room, you know, yelling at the end there, I agree with you. I think it's just emotion. I don't think they'll hold that against him, and I don't really blame him. It it, it stinks for him that he had to, uh, you know, get caught by cameras. But like I said, 
at the end of the day, I'm sure there were a lot of guys in that locker room that felt that way. Even though they came to Osai's defense, it's a play that you can't make. Even if you think that it was borderline, it's something you can't do. If the staff remains intact, and, you know, uh, on Monday, I, I watched, you were there, I'm sure, I watched uh, the entire uh, Zach Taylor press conference, and he talked about, you know, uh, his coordinators in Anarumo, uh, Callahan, and Simmons on the special teams, that all of them have been there together through some bad days. Yeah. They're, they're very young men. I think oftentimes we forget that as far as just age and, and obviously experience in these current roles, and they continue to grow. Where does Zach Taylor need to grow as a head coach? I, I think there are always clock management things that all 32 coaches have, have yet to master. And, and we saw that at the end of the first half. It, the, the third and one, take a timeout, run the ball to get the first down, take another timeout. That is awful. <laughs> it's just, it's awful. It can't happen. And, and whether you, you take the timeout ahead of the third and one makes sense will have the plan for getting the first down and then have another play called right now. And it's pretty simple. It was a run off the uh, behind the right guard, I believe, or, or to the right of, of Ted Karras. What's the call after that? Have another play called because that cost them. Once he found Burrow found T Higgins, they didn't have enough time to score there in the red zone, score a touchdown. And that four point swing makes a huge difference. So little clock management things, but I, I think that, the things Zach deserves credit for in this entire staff, Lou, Brian. In 2019, they, they might not have been ready, right? I, I think that's fair to say, as a staff. Anarumo, all of these guys. And in 2020, they got a little better. In 2021, they got a little better. In 2022, they got a little better. And you look up, and I think it's a pretty damn good coaching staff, uh, top to bottom. And you're always going to have complaints. You're always going to have little things that you could get better at. But from a culture standpoint, from a uh, an execution play calling standpoint, I think that they are are much better now than where they were just a few years ago. And, and hopefully, uh, for the Bengals' sake, they can hold on to this staff. But I have a feeling that that might not be the case because the NFL is obviously taking notice of, of what they've done and, and how talented this group is. All right, last thing I want to ask you about before we let you go. Hmm. Philosophically, they're going to have to start making decisions on uh, players, who they keep, who they let go. We've walked through some of those today, but, but even next year and the next year, depending on when Burroughs' contract is, is finalized, and, and then how much they guarantee to sort of backload some of the big, big money, much like Buffalo did with, with Josh Allen's contract. I mean, they might not be forced to make huge decisions for three more years depending on how that, that contract is structured. But I'm curious, at the end of the day, if you've got to make a decision philosophically, we're all in on offense, not just Burrow, but Boyd, but Higgins, but Chase, offensive line to truly build and put together, which they thought they had done this year, and it looked like that before guys started getting hurt. But I mean all in on giving Burrow that extra half a second, second, second and a half. Are you all in at the end of the day on offense? Or this year a strong argument could be made that the defense was far more consistent than the offense was game in and game out over the 17 weeks and into the playoffs. 
Are you going to start spending some big dough on the defense? They've spent a lot of money on defense, and I, I think that is the interesting balance is now you have to get younger on defense. Dax Hill's a, a part of that, certainly. Cam Taylor-Britt, part of that. Zach Carter, part of that. And that's going to be the theme. You're going to see it, it kind of flip-flop. And offensive line-wise, they do need to start building a pipeline where you get young guys in that you feel like you can rely on. But they can use another veteran, no doubt about it, in free agency. If you could add another free agent offensive lineman, uh, I would certainly be open to that. And, and position-wise, we could debate it and go back and forth about it, but certainly open uh, to, to that idea. I think it's it's a balance, but look at what the Chiefs did. You know, they're, they're all in on offense. And they paid their offensive line a lot of money. They paid Travis Kelsey a lot of money, Patrick Mahomes a lot of money. And, yeah, they have Chris Jones. They have a couple of guys on defense that they're, that they're paying, but they got really young in the secondary fast. They have a lot of guys they are linebackers, a lot of linebackers on rookie contracts as well. I think that's the plan here, or should be at least. Boyd is not going to be around. Now, he might be around next season, but long term, I don't think that they necessarily extend him. But can you keep this core together of Higgins, Chase, in Burrow? I think you can, but you're going to have to get younger and cheaper at running back, cheaper in, in, or, or remain cheap at tight end. And, and that, that's probably the path to doing that uh, because then that will allow you to some flexibility to pay the offensive line as well. So they can do it. They could keep a lot of these guys. I think it's funny when people say, oh, well, if you pay Burrow, you can't pay Chase and Higgins. or you can't. Of course you can. But that means that your team is going to be structured a certain way and you're going to have to get it right in the draft at other positions. And, and honestly, I, I would still say, even though they drafted Cordell Volson, that paying offensive linemen – Let's look at the guys they paid last year. That, that, that worked. They got it right with Alex Kappa and Ted Karras and even Lyle Collins to a degree. It's harder James, to we draft these guys. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Please go ahead. It, it, it's, uh, it's harder to draft these guys. So uh, we'll see what they do there as, as far as they build the, you know, the offensive line. Well, James, we can't thank you enough. Uh, AllBengals.com and, of course, Locked on Bengals, your podcast, everything with Sports Illustrated. Uh, we can't thank you enough for um, for your time and your expertise, and uh, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it, my yeah. friend. No problem. Appreciate you having me. Thanks, Tom. Absolutely. James Rapine, always great to have him throughout this entire football season. I see some of you say, you know what? If uh, Rapine's not going to continue to come on, I'm all along with some of our other football guys, and this is what we were talking about yesterday, you know? You said you're not going to watch as much anymore because uh, it's all about football. Which, by the way, uh, it came out that the Bengals-Chiefs AFC Championship game was the most watched championship game from either conference on any network in the last four years. I continue to say over and over, these networks... And I was there for 25 years at one of them that had the NFL. They put so much stock and value in the big market thing. And I've said for years that they're not right about that. They're not right about it. I mean, think for a second. Now, I know that I know that the time window makes a big difference. But you had two of the biggest markets in the country in the NFC championship game. In Philadelphia and San Francisco. Outside of Green Bay, 
you have two of the smallest markets in the NFL in Cincinnati and Kansas City. And again, it was a 6.30 kick, not a 3 o'clock kick. But to think that looking back over the last five years and the only games that have rated higher than that Bengals-Chiefs game on Sunday were Super Bowls. It's wild. It's pretty amazing. People like the new rivalry. Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, obviously the Mahomes dynasty uh, that the NFL wants to see and, and that fans are, are gravitating towards house. But then the Bengals making that run to the Super Bowl and, and Joe Bur Burrow being Joe Burrow, I think this is what it's going to be like for years to come with the, those ratings in this game. Yeah, people want to watch good teams. People want to watch good talent. People want to watch the best of the best. And that's what you got on Saturday or on Sunday in the championship. You just you're you're gonna tune in when the players are playing at the height of their profession, and that's exactly what the AFC Championship was. You had Joe Burrow, you had Patrick Mahomes, you had these brands that have now been built. I mean, you think back to you think back to these teams and how long it takes to shape public perception about a franchise. Think back to the Warriors and to the Bengals of old, and think back to the Chiefs before they were the Chiefs now. And it seems like you take so long to shift in your mind that this team is a good team and they're not the Bungles, right? And, and not just in Cincinnati, but I'm talking about nationwide, that you have this perception of this team that constantly shot itself in the foot and constantly had players getting arrested and had players that were getting penalized on the field. And you had just so many things constantly going wrong for this franchise that now all of a sudden that's done a 180. The culture has shifted. You don't have any of that anymore. And you have two of the best teams in the league competing against each other. And we're going to get to see it again next year. And I'm telling you, I bet it's early in the season in a primetime game. Chiefs and Bengals, yep. maybe in week one, depending on if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl or not. You know, the, 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 the two of the franchises you just mentioned about being down for a long time, and they were, the Chiefs in the NFL, the Golden State Warriors, and the Bengals lumping them in there together. And I get where you're going with that. But I'm telling you, the perception of the Bengals is never going to change until they win the Super Bowl. The Golden State Warriors had won an NBA championship. It was 1,000 years ago. I think it was 1972, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they have won one. The Kansas City Chiefs, we know, uh, have won a Super Bowl, multiple Super Bowls. Um, and until the Bengals win it, they're, they're just not going to get people to look at them the same. They'll put the eyeballs on the screen because they've got so many great stars, and especially in Burrow and Chase. But the overall perception of the Bengals will not take it to the level they want it to be at, and they know this, until they win a Super Bowl. you got to win the big one. I mean, it happens to individuals, and it happens to franchises. Dan Marino was one of the great quarterbacks that ever walked the planet. There are many that will tell you he was the best passing quarterback, without a doubt, who ever walked the planet. But when you say his name, what's the first thing after saying, great player, what's the next thing they're going to say? Never won a big one. Now, is that his fault? Of course, it's not his fault. Or not entirely his fault, in part. But that's what they say. Yeah, I don't know if it's fair or not, but it's reality. 
And that was a point I made on the show last Friday. I said if Joe doesn't go out there and win this one, or if he does and gets back to the Super Bowl and doesn't win it, we don't believe that. But inevitably, there is going to be something out there that says, well, he, he gets you there. Can he win the big one? That's right. And I would not say that those are the smartest sports fans on the planet, the people that are saying that. But there are going to be people that say that if you keep getting back and you keep not winning it. So two is a very small sample size. Last year, you caught lightning in a bottle. Everything happened at the right time. You're a play away this year, too. You caught everybody off guard. Yeah, and you didn't get killed this year. You lost by a field goal that probably shouldn't have happened. Okay, okay, but here's the thing. I don't want to interrupt you. Go ahead, finish your point. Well, no, I I was just going to say, it's not like the Bengals went out against the Chiefs this year. And they lost like the 49ers did against the Eagles. And you're saying, whoa, 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 hold on. We got a couple steps we have to take. The Bengals were right there. If this game's at Paycor, maybe they win. But okay, they're okay. right there with the Chiefs. That's, that's one side of the argument. Okay? Now, the, I, all I'm doing is laying out the facts. Some of you may not like it. These are the facts. The games of Bengals lost. So one argument you can make back to what you said originally. Your original point was, you know, you look at this season, right? And you talk about the pit. all the losses they had except for the game in Cleveland on Halloween night before they ripped off 10 straight wins. They were right there within two or three points to win every game. But that's, that's the point. They were right there within two or three points, but they lost. And you could say, well... They were right there in the Super Bowl. Yeah, but they lost. And they had multiple chances. Correct me if I'm wrong. This offense had five chances to score in that Super Bowl game last year in the second half where they did nothing. Not a single point. This year, the offense against the Ravens, it took a play by Sam Hubbard and by Logan Wilson to beat the Ravens in the first game. The offense was very good in Buffalo, no doubt about it. This week again, you can say, well, they only lost by a field goal. They're this close. But they lost by a field goal. So if you go back and look at the Bengals in the playoffs the last two years, and look, around here, this franchise had been down for so long that we are grateful for everything that's going on, and I am too as a Bengal fan. But you have to take a step back and look at reality for a minute here, okay? When we're talking about just the offense, which gets all the pub around here, this offense in the postseason last year was Evan McPherson. Yeah. And that is a fact. They could not score touchdowns when it mattered just like Sunday they could not score touchdowns when it mattered now who's responsible for that I don't know you want to say the offensive line that's fine you want to say the quarterback nobody wants to say that nobody wants to hear it and I'm not suggesting that's what it is But if you go back and look at the offense in the last two postseasons, they have not scored touchdowns. 
and you're not going to win most of the time, and I'm talking about winning the whole thing. We're at a point now where getting to the championship game is awesome, but the roster is built and the talent is there where this team should be getting to the championship game. It's a better roster than Buffalo. I don't care what all the preseason hype on Buffalo. It's a better roster and a better team, and they beat them when it mattered. It's a better roster than Baltimore. It's a better roster than the Chargers. It's a better roster than the Titans. I think it's a better roster than the Chiefs. But they can't score touchdowns. Those are the facts. I agree with you, Tom. I I, I was in the uh, denial, upset phase Sunday night in the Monday of my drive back. And I got a little bit into the, the ref show uh, battle on Twitter, just reading through it and kind of agreeing, kind of not. But it comes down to you winning the games. I mean, I said it yesterday. Some calls don't go your way. There was some BS that happened from the officials in, in, in that game. But Burrow and the Bengals offense, Zach Taylor calling plays, and that offensive line having to block, they had three chances after they tied it to go down there and take a lead at some point, and they couldn't do it. And that's on that's that's on us, and that's when that's when the Cincinnati in me starts to creep in. Uh, I, I like, would, is it going to happen? It'll happen. It'll happen. It'll happen. It's They'll been, win one. It's been twenty nine years for me. I've never seen it. It's true. You know, Joshua points out in the playoffs, and Joshua, you're right. He said, "I mean, no one scores touchdowns left and right in the playoffs." That's still true. I get that, but you can't. You can't make the argument, I'm, I'm not suggesting you, Joshua, others have. You can't, you, you can't say in one, you, you, you can't say on one side, boy, you know, four of our losses this year, man, were only three points. We're so close. You make that statement. Then you feel like in your heart of hearts through your, your orange colored glasses that this is a great offensive team, which it is not. It has great stars and great players. As a unit, they proved throughout the entire regular season, it was an inconsistent unit. But if you want to say they lost these games, they're that close. And, and then you want to say they have a great offense, you can't say those things and not at least consider over here the fact that while you can't score touchdowns left and right, you're spot on, Joshua. But you have to score one more touchdown. In both of those games, in the Super Bowl, you had five offensive drives where you didn't even get field goals. Not one. And then on Sunday, you get two chances in the final seven minutes of the game to go down the field when all you needed was a field goal. And you couldn't do it. Now, again, I'm not handing out blame. But, you know, look, you have to put this stuff in perspective. And I can promise you that is what they're doing at Paycor Stadium right now as they look to figure out what it is they're going to do. And that's why I asked James Rapine the question. And I'll ask Dan Horn the question, uh, who's been kind enough to join us uh, for so much of this year, and, and lots to talk with him about. And we'll start with the Bengals. Danny, good morning. 
Hope you're doing well, my friend. You got a big basketball game tonight down at uh, Fifth Third. I do. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to uh, concentrating on one sport for a little while. Hey, I want to ask you, what were your thoughts about the UC football schedule that came out yesterday? Uh, Loved it for two reasons. Number one, how cool is it? to play their first ever Big 12 home game against Oklahoma. Yep. That is tremendous. Uh, number two, they get five home games. So the the outgoing uh, Big 12 teams, Oklahoma and Texas, got a little bit of a, a backhand from the league. They get four <laughs> home games. Cincinnati and <laughs> New gets five, which is pretty cool. Uh, on a personal note, probably the most scary uh, – Game, I'm sorry, a BYU road game on a Saturday night trying to get somewhere east the next day uh, to make a Bengals game, and the uh, BYU road game is on a Friday night. So that was a big favor wow. to me from Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner. <laughs> there is no doubt he was thinking of Dan Horde and your travel schedule when he put together <laughs> that first, uh, that, that first uh, season in the Big 12 uh, with UC. You know, I, before we get to the Bengals, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about, because I, I think it's one of the most intriguing battles. I mean, you know, there are people uh, up in Columbus that would say the Ohio State quarterback battle is going to be uh, the most intriguing one. What's going to happen down in Georgia uh, with a new quarterback coming in? But the UC quarterback situation, it seemed a couple of weeks ago, like, uh, you know, you knew Prater was coming back. Then Bryant decides he's coming back. They get a couple of transfer guys that come in there that have had success at different places. Um, how do you get these guys enough reps if you're the coaching staff in the spring and then moving into the summer to figure out who's the best of the lot? Well, keep in mind, there's still another transfer portal coming at the end of spring ball. So the guys that are on the roster right now might not all be back uh, by training camp in August. That remains to be seen. It's a good question. Uh, We've certainly seen situations before where there were three quarterbacks in spring ball trying to divvy it up pretty equally. Um, I imagine that's what they will try to do, but it remains uh, a bit of a mystery at this point. I do think Emory Jones, the transfer that's coming in that started his career at Florida, at least to me, with Scott Satterfield, kind of seems like he might have, uh, you know, the, the first opportunity mm-hmm. there. But obviously, with with Evan and Ben on the roster for now, they're certainly going to have their opportunity to impress the new coach. You uh, see basketball, and I alluded you have a game tonight against uh, Tulsa. They were this close. You were there. I mean, right there, uh, and had a chance to win. Certainly could have, should have won that game at Houston, but they did not. Where do you think the, 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 the sort of the state of the basketball program is right now? I think the record is 15 and 8. Is that right? That sounds right to me. 14 okay. and 8 or 15 and 8. It's okay. right there. Yep. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Getting better. I mean, it reminds me a lot of Mick's second year at UC. They're making progress. That's obvious. They've got some good players. They don't have as many good players as Houston or Memphis or a few of the teams they're playing in the league. So we saw this early in mixed tenure. They would seemingly do just about everything right. And then back then in the Big East days, at the end of the game, Syracuse or UConn or whoever it was at the time would do just enough to pull it out. And you'd be frustrated and banging your head against the wall. But ultimately, 
you understand that Cincinnati's talent right now is not as good as Houston's talent. They put themselves in a great position to win. They didn't quite get it done. Houston made some really tough two-point shots. I've got to give them credit for that. And uh, that's, that's kind of where things stand right now. But I definitely see progress. All right, let's shift gears now uh, to the Bengals. Uh, certainly an uh, incredible disappointment um, here in, in greater Cincinnati and, and, and Bengals fans all over the country. I mean, you were right there again um, for you know, a, a trip to the Super Bowl. You know, you're sitting there watching the game, Dan, and, and, and back and forth and this and that and missed opportunities and et cetera, et cetera. What stood out to you, a thing or two, about the difference in winning and losing? To me, the difference in the game was actually pretty simple. For everything that everybody said since that game, to me, it still comes down to which team put more pressure on the other team's quarterback. Yep. The Chiefs sacked Joe five times and hit him 12, 12 quarterback hits. The Bengals, facing a quarterback playing on one healthy leg, sacked Patrick Mahomes twice. They're both mobile. Joe was the more mobile of the two on Saturday, on Sunday, considering he was healthier. So that was the game to me. The offensive line did an unbelievable job against Buffalo. Maybe they were helped a little bit by the snowy track. I don't know. Uh, but the Chiefs have a better pass rush. They were second in the NFL during the regular season in sacks. The Bengals couldn't block Chris Jones. Ultimately, that was the difference in the game. It's not like they ruin every play. It's just a couple. And that's all it takes. You know, Chris Jones sacks Joe Burrow on the Bengals' last offensive snap. That's the difference. If he completes a 12-yard pass there, maybe they gain 15 more yards, kick a field goal at the gun, and win the game. But, you know, just a few plays like that where you can't block Frank Clark or Chris Jones makes the difference in the game. Dan, you live in the real world. Okay, and oftentimes <laughs> a lot of us, you know, uh, we, we get wrapped up in our favorite team, uh, maybe we're employed by a team, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, but when you have emotional attachment, which you do with the Bengals, I do with the Bengals. I live here. Guys, I'm working with every day. We're attached. You're rooting like crazy. You're bummed out uh, for three or four days even now. Just bummed out, feeling like the Bengals were the better team. Uh, but the bottom line is, um, and maybe it comes down to the point you just made a minute ago, um, and that's the offensive line. I don't know. Maybe it's something else. In the real world, there are going to be people out there, and I've been guilty as one of them. I'm not there yet, but if it happens another year, people are really going to start more than whispers. It's going to be a little bit loud talking about being able to finish and win the big one, especially for the Bengals offense. Before you came on, I mean, you were there. You know, last year during the playoffs, their offense was good enough to kick field goals. This year in the postseason, in two of the three games, the offense was just good enough to kick field goals. So do you think there's at least a little bit more pressure now on this franchise because they're so close to winning the big one? Yeah, sure. I mean, when you get to the doorstep, at some point, the pressure increases. You know, they got within one win of the title last year. They got within two wins this year. So absolutely, uh, that increases. Now, when you say that, I, I think there's a little bit of an implication of, you know, well, who are we going to blame, right? Is it Zach? Is it the coordinator? I don't know. Um, I don't feel that way. You know, to say that 
you've got to win the big one. They've won a lot of big ones to get to this point. They haven't won the ultimate big one yet. I do think it's going to happen in the Joe Burrow era. And I do kind of think that, you know, I've been joking. People like to bring up things in the Bengals past. They feel jinked sometimes, somehow. Nothing prior to Joe Burrow matters. Throw out 52 years of Bengals history. Let's focus on what this team's accomplished in the last three. Those accomplishments are pretty darn good. And I do think they're going to get over the hump sometime soon. I do too. I mean, I, I really, really do. I, I think that the entire franchise in every way, uh, whether it's ownership, whether it's the coaching staff, uh, hopefully they can hold that group together. I mean, I shouldn't say hopefully. I mean, those guys, you know, they, they've worked their way to, to get an opportunity to become a head coach, and God bless them if they do. I hope it ha- You think either one of those guys, Callahan or Anarumo, gets a head coaching job this offseason? If I had to make a bet, I would say no, based on what's still out there. Um, It might be one more year for either or both. It doesn't feel to me, based on everything I've read, uh, that either of those guys is going to get hired, but we'll find out soon enough. All right, your thoughts, Dan, on the Super Bowl. Maybe you don't care. Maybe you don't care. What? You do care. (laughs) I do care. I have a rooting interest. interest. It's the Philadelphia Eagles, and here's why. Their head coach, Nick Sirianni, went to my high school. His dad was my high school science teacher. He was the high school football and track coach at my high school. I didn't uh, play football after ninth grade, but I ran track for his father. Uh, His father was the most intimidating teacher in my high school. He had this Vulcan nerve pinch that he would do whenever kids misbehaved in his science class. So I am all in on the Philadelphia Eagles a week from Sunday. That's a cool story. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think uh, the son comes across as a pretty intimidating dude. It was nice to see a little bit, uh, I don't know, softer side is the right word. But, but uh, when his daughter, his three kids were up there on the podium, I don't know if you saw that press conference. And she's just kind of going, blah, blah, blah. I've heard all this kind of stuff before. Uh, he, he, I mean, what a job that guy has done. And that's a tough town to do it in, brother. You know as well as I do. Yeah, two years, two playoff trips, Super Bowl in year two. It's been pretty incredible. And go back to his uh, initial news conference, the this is the guy we hired news conference. It was a disaster. He could not have been worse in that initial news conference. Every Philadelphia Eagles fan was like hammering themselves, thinking, holy cow, who did we just hire? This guy can barely uh, get a word out. But he was just so nervous. He didn't handle that well. Since then, he's been great. He's done a phenomenal job of coaching that team. So uh, I'm all in on the Eagles. Go Philly. Go Philly is right. I'm rooting for him, too. Danny, we thank you for your time as always, sir, and all your insight. Have a great day and good luck on the broadcast tonight. Thank you. Appreciate it, Tom. Let's do this again soon. Absolutely. Look forward to it. We've loved having Dan Horde on. And, of course, uh, he'll, he'll still be, you know, on the UC basketball beat. And, and I find it, Paul, maybe, maybe you disagree with this. After the way UC played on Sunday, or Saturday, forgive me, against Houston, down there in Houston, top three team, I'm not suggesting UC is going to win the American Conference Tournament. But what I am saying is if that team shows up for the tournament, you never know. Well, I think if you're UC, what you're hoping is that you can put yourself in a position for the American tournament, that you end up on the other side of the bracket from Houston, and maybe something funky happens. Maybe Memphis has a hot night, 
and then UC can win the tournament that way. I, 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 the problem with UC for me this year has just been a lack of consistency. And yep. like this was a game that UC should have won the way that they were playing. They got beat by one guy basically for Houston, and it's a game that UC's got to be able to close out. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the Bengals, mm -hmm. where you get so close, you get down there to the end, but. Wes Miller is 1-12 in quad one games as a head Explain coach. Explain to people who are just getting tuned in for college basketball what quad one okay. means, if you would. Sure. So if you remember the RPI from a few years ago, the RPI was how the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee seeded or looked at the teams that should or should not make the NCAA Tournament. Well, about three or four years ago, the uh, NCAA Tournament Selection Committee came out with this thing called the net ranking. It's basically a, a more refined RPI. It looks at things that matter more than the RPI did. And what you do is you separate each game. Each team is listed in a quad. So quad one, quad two, quad three, and quad four. The best games on your schedule are quad one games. So if you're ranked between one to 30 in the net, then you're a quad one game if you play a, a game at home. Basically, there, there's ways that you can look at it. Uh, the bottom line is that a quad one, if I hear you right, are teams basically ranked in the top 30 in the country. Yeah. Right? And then you go from 30 to what? 60? It's, it's, yeah, it's 30 on a home court, 50 on a neutral court, and 75 on an away venue. So there's some, there's some leeway there. But the, what it boils down to here, not to bog everybody too much down into this, is that this is a quad one game for UC. And when you look at the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, they look at most specifically what your record is in quad one and, and then quad two games. UC right now in quad one does not have a win this year. Wes Miller at UC has lost his last 12 quad one games. The only quad one game that UC has won under Wes. Was it Arkansas last it year? It was the Illinois game Illinois, in yeah. that same tournament. It was the Illinois game. The very first one that Wes coached in at UC, the Bearcats won. They've lost 12 straight since. So when it comes down to winning the games that matter that can get you into the NCAA tournament, UC is not going to make the NCAA tournament this year based on an at-large berth. But... Maybe you hope that Houston ends up on the other side of the bracket and Memphis clips them or has a good night or something happens. You catch Houston on an off night in the title game. That's that's kind of what you got to hope for mm -hmm. if you're a UC fan right now. Well, that's I the mean, way I look, they got to get good players. I mean, and they have some good players here. Dan just talked about it. They've got, some, they, they've got two or three excellent players there. Uh, and, but but you, you, you look, at the end of the day, I, you know, I say that, but I was a guy earlier that was sitting there saying you know, there's also extreme importance in who you have coaching these guys because the Duke roster is loaded with players. Yep. The Kentucky roster is loaded with players. The Gonzaga roster is loaded with players and experienced players. Yeah. Unlike Kentucky and Duke that are, you know, they go with some young guys, a whole one-and-done thing, and, you know, not uh, on and on and on. Gonzaga – is loaded with experienced players. And they have – now they're playing a little better now, but, I mean, that conference they play in, by and large, stinks. Uh, and, and, you know, they'll get in the tournament, make a deep run. They'll get bounced by somebody. You can mark it down. That yeah. guy should have left there. Mark Few? I don't, I don't think so. I think Mark – Should have gone to Carolina. That's where he should have gone, Carolina. He's End a, of the day, brand he's a school in the middle of nowhere, nowhere, and North Carolina. I mean, come on. I think Mark Few wants his legacy at 
Gonzaga to be getting them into a better conference. And I think he is bound and determined to stick around at Gonzaga until they get into a conference that matters in college basketball. Because, like, look at St. Mary's right now. By all the computer rankings, St. Mary's is having a much better year than Gonzaga is, as wild as that is to say. St. Mary's is good for one of those years every every few years. Yeah. Yep. They're good for one of those. Yep. And that's this year. St. Mary's will probably be favored by four or five points. they got over. a good program. They have for a long time, St. Mary's. Yeah, the Gales. They, they, they hang around, and they'll probably be favored by four or five when they play Gonzaga two games from now. So when you look at Gonzaga, Gonzaga doesn't have the roster that they had a couple of years ago when they were undefeated going to the national championship game against Baylor. They're good, but they just don't have – Drew Timmy's not having the year that he should be having for them to play at that elite level that they need to. I just don't think Mark Few wants to leave Gonzaga. I think he's been around too long now, and he's built that program into too much. If you think back to – what, nine, 2009, 2010, and the trajectory of some of these programs like Xavier going into the Big East. But you think about Gonzaga and where they were in like 2009, 2010, coming off those Adam Morrison years and everything like that, and the trajectory of that program. No to, question. To where, to where we have gotten to a point with Gonzaga that – You almost forget what conference they're in, that they play nobody. Yeah, and the, and, the, and the conference sets it up great in the conference tournament where Gonzaga every year really only has to play two games to get to win the conference tournament because they want their best team to win the conference tournament and get in. So they, they stagger the conference tournament so that if you're the last-seeded team in the WCC, you have to win like six, five games to win the conference tournament, but Gonzaga only has to win two. All right, but let me ask you this. Why would anybody... And, and I sincerely mean this, and this is no knock on Gonzaga. It's a beautiful part of the country. Uh, it's an excellent school. Um, he has done everything the right way. He's recruited players from overseas. He's had incredible success recruiting players out of the country because of, you know, uh, when you're going and getting guys from Japan and some of these other places, you know, it's really not that far of a ride comparatively speaking, than if you were trying to recruit the same kid to come to Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Xavier, Cincinnati, wherever. But I'm not smart enough to understand all this. Why would anybody outside of basketball, why would anybody want Gonzaga in their conference? They bring nothing else to the table. Baseball is really good. Okay. They, uh, look. But, but baseball, I mean, come on, baseball. Nobody goes to the college baseball games, especially when you consider the return on investment of having to fly. And anybody that's ever flown out to Seattle, it is a whole different world getting to Seattle than it is even to Los Angeles or San Diego or San Francisco. Although San Francisco is just starting to border on that middle of sort of nowhere destination. I mean, can you imagine the way the Big 12 is aligned right now? Of bringing in Gonzaga? Well, now, the Pac-12, but I, but I don't know who's going to be left in the Pac-12. Yeah, and that's the problem. The, the, the thing is that Gonzaga is the best, most perfect, most ideal fit for the Big East. But the travel out there, especially from the non-revenue sports, right. just doesn't end up doesn't it, it doesn't match up. Now, what I don't know, and I'm just saying this, I don't have anything on the inside of that. I don't know, but I almost wonder um, if you could figure out a way for the other sports. If you look at like lacrosse in the Big East, 
they have partner schools that play Big East lacrosse, like Liberty, right. that's not in the Big East. You have right. those partner schools that play in those lesser sports, those non-revenue sports, that you could maybe say, all right, well, hey, Gonzaga, we're going to put some of your other sports over in this, but we're going to keep basketball in, the say, the Big East. And if we're going to go national on sport, I mean, Gonzaga is one of the best, biggest brands in college basketball right now. Any conference would kill for them to be in their conference just in basketball. Not having football is tough to say go to the Big 12. Whatever money they would make, and I'm with you on that that whole scenario, and you, you use lacrosse, for example. John Johns Hopkins is a great example of that because they're a similar size sort of school to Gonzaga. Uh, but their location is obviously dramatically different. Johns Hopkins plays in the Big 10 in college lacrosse. They're one of the great powers and always have been, et cetera, et cetera. There are other sports they play in whatever it is they play in. But when you just look at the expense, and it's not only for Gonzaga, it's for the other schools that are playing, especially in the Big East. I mean, the Big East more than any of the others compared to especially the Big 12 and the, and the Pac-12. Um, I'm not sure, and, and I don't know, because you got to factor in TV money. But the Big East Conference, they've got their deal with ESPN. They don't have a Big Ten network. They don't have an SEC network, okay, like those two conferences do, where you're getting your national TV deal money, and then this BTN uh, thing is insane, the amount of the money they get just from that in the Big Ten. Same thing in the SEC. I find it hard to believe that if you're Xavier, and what's Gonzaga's gym hold? 10,000 like Xavier? No, it's not that big. Okay, 8,000. Yeah. Let's just say whatever, 8,000. Yeah. I mean, can you actually even break even by getting on a charter plane flying all the way from Cincinnati? 6,000. 6,000. Now you're really talking, okay? So you get on a plane and you fly all the way to Seattle. Spokane. Or Sp- yeah, Spokane. And fly all the way back. I, I just find it hard to believe, because you're not going to leave the day before the game, more than likely. You might have to leave two days before the game when you're flying that far, especially for the teams that you're talking about in the Big East, Providence, right? Oh, yeah. Connecticut. Some of these schools, I mean, that's a six and a half, seven hour flight. I mean, are you really going to make out on that deal? Not just for that game, but it, do you think that the new, that a TV contract with ESPN or whatever it might be uh, that they have for the conference, it offsets? some of that enough where it's worth your while? I do. I think there is a world where Gonzaga makes sense in the Big East. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen. It's been rumored for so long. I don't know if it's going to happen. I know that the Big East TV, the Big East's TV deal with Fox, every single Big East game is on national television. Every game for every team is on national television. FS1, they have a partnership with CBS, Fox Sports, all that. When the TV deal comes up in what I think is two years, I don't know if it's – I think it's 25. I don't know if it's 25, 26, 24, 25. doesn't matter. Two years, I think, is when it comes up. If you get a package with, say, a joint package with ESPN, Fox Sports 1, 
college basketball is such a huge part of the TV deals for ESPN and for Fox yep. and for FS1 because think about how many games there are. Yep. You can turn on from November, whether you care about it or not, from November Tom really cares about from November basketball. to March first, you can turn on a, a good game nationwide pretty much every night. Yep. There might only be one in December. It's okay. There might only be one, but there is a package there at ESPN and, and Fox Sports. I'll be interested to see if the Big East does take a look at ESPN because without having the big Monday game or anything like that, if they just want some more expanded coverage when that comes up. But I do think that there is a world where you can work out a TV deal to where adding Gonzaga makes sense. You'd have to figure out, like, Gonzaga, do they make the trip and, like, are they just gone for a week and they play Seton Hall, St. John's, back-to-back, -back, and they're gone for five days, then they fly back, play Providence and UConn, then they fly back, play Georgetown, Villanova. Like, is that how that works? I don't know. Well, it's it's kind of like the, the Big Ten that's now going to be UCLA and USC. Like, those... Uh, Olympic sports when they play baseball or, or, or I don't know, lacrosse or whatever it is, right? UCLA is going to come to the East Coast for a week, right? Like those teams are going to. That's the only way you can make it make financial sense. But then, what do you do with school with classes? I mean, it's yeah. Also, what do you call the Big East then? It can't be the Big East if Gonzaga's in it. It's got to be a different name. Yeah, I don't know. The Big East. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what you would do with that. But I do think that there is a world where when the TV deal gets renegotiated here in a couple of years that something happens. I don't know if it's ESPN, Fox. I'm not high enough up the food chain to know. I'm not either, but I, I just don't, you know, I, I, I don't know how any of this makes 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 sense. I get it, what, you know, like the Big, the Big Ten thing. I mean, it's, it's USC and UCLA. I mean, they're bringing a hell of a lot more to the table. Oh, yeah. I'm Basketball. Not... No, no, no. I know you weren't insinuating otherwise. I'm just saying compared to bringing in Gonzaga, which basically you're bringing them in for one sport. You know, with the Big Ten, they're bring... and you're bringing the market of Los Angeles with those two schools in one fell swoop. Yeah. Back... I mean, you know, and they're bringing everything. You know, they call themselves the Conference of Champions. Bill Walton calls them that anyway. They're the champions and everything else except for the sports that you and I watch all the time, but they're great and everything else. Right. Right? And now all of a sudden, you know, you bring it. You imagine the basketball with UCLA coming into the Big Ten. And USC's got a pretty good basketball program. They they're they're kind of, you know, on, on the come. But football, oh, and then the other sports. But Gonzaga, I, I just don't, I don't know what, what, I don't know. It'd be great to see Gonzaga in, in, in any conference in basketball. Uh, can you imagine adding them to the Big 12? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I, been... They make more sense in the Big 12 because of basketball and their ge geography. Than... Yeah. I mean, what's the farthest west school in the Big East? Marquette? Creighton. Oh, yeah, duh. Creighton. But, I mean, even Creighton's an outlier. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be Marquette. But, man, even that, even that flight from Dallas to Seattle, and I've done it. You guys have done I mean, you feel like you are traveling to the end of the world when you go to Seattle. When you go look at the Seattle Mariners baseball travel schedule, and it's out every year, about the number of miles the Seattle Mariners spend uh, air miles. It is damn near double everybody else in Major League Baseball. And it's going to be even worse this year 
because now you're playing every team in baseball in a series. So it's not like it was last year where, I mean, believe me when I tell you, because they're, they're in the same division in baseball that the Mariners are as the Oakland A's. Even that's a two-hour and 20-minute flight, believe it or not. Seattle to Oakland. Then you've got Anaheim tack on another two hours. Then they have the Rangers tack on forever. Well, you, at least you got to go to those three cities three times per year. Now, all of a sudden, you take away one of those trips from each of the cities and you start plugging in St. Louis. You start plugging in Cincinnati. You start plugging in Miami. Oh. Lou Pinelli used to say the hardest years of his life, the best years of his life uh, as a manager were with Seattle. But he said there's no question it took years off his life. Can, can I go back to the college uh, sports realignment real quick? Of course. Random question, but as a UC fan in, 2000, the, in the you know, mid-2000s, 2010s, Rutgers to the Big Ten, to me, was the biggest joke. And it, all it was was to get that New York TV market for Ohio State fans, Michigan fans, Penn State fans, Big Ten fans that live up there. Rutgers has no business being in the Big Ten. No doubt. Well, neither, no business. Neither does Maryland. No business Maryland whatsoever. I can make more of an argument for because academically I think they line up a little closer to the Big Ten schools. That's the one thing about the Big Ten. It doesn't mean every one of them are great schools, but they are great schools. They're great academic schools. And, they, and, they, you know, and I'm not suggesting Rutgers is not a good school. But Maryland is much closer to a Big Ten school in that regard, I think, than Rutgers. Sure. Is that fair? Sure, but Maryland should be in the ACC. Yeah, you're right. There's no doubt. No doubt. And Rutgers should be in the Big East. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there's just, that was all. That was a TV market New York City thing. And, and guess what? Not a lot of people care about Rutgers. They had one good football season. Good. And they Although I think the that's going to get changed with Shiano. Shiano can coach. I agree he can coach. I just don't think many people care about Rutgers football. Can't argue with you. Well, and, and then that's the same argument back there with Dayton in the Big East. Like, you came – a lot of the Dayton fans, when it was coming down to Big East realignment, they said, hey, we fit this bill. It's the same bill. But Big East wanted the Cincinnati market. Dayton's only 45 minutes up the road. They got Xavier. Then it kind of puts a squeeze yeah. on that when you're getting two teams from the same market. You know, Big East has a lot of that covered. Well, that was the thing with me with UC being stuck – in the old Big East then turned into the American was, all right, like Rutgers is going to the Big Ten, but their football team, not very good. Basketball team, not – like they had – women's basketball was very good for Rutgers in the early 2000s and mid-2000s. But besides that, I know they're the birthplace of college football, but, I mean, that football stadium was empty. Or it's a home game for Ohio State, Michigan, whoever plays there. It just – that's, that's the part that ruins sports for me is, is the money thing with, with the TV deals. The old Big East, and I know, Paul, you love Xavier being in the new Big East, and, and Cincinnati wasn't in the old, old Big East. But the Big East, when I was in school at UC from 2000, I, 2010 to 2014, whatever it was, that was the best scenario for Cincinnati in all sports. You got to play Syracuse, Louisville, West Virginia, Whoever in basketball in a week Syracuse, and yeah. football, you were in a power conference and you had the regional rivalries. Now it's the Big 12. I'm happy for the Big 12, but obviously it sucks that Texas and Oklahoma are going to the SEC. 
Yeah, I mean, that, 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 and, and, and look, I, no one was surprised uh, that Oklahoma and Texas this year, when the schedule came out, the Big 12 yesterday, that Oklahoma and Texas are only getting four games in the conference. Uh, there were whispers all along that said that the Big 12 was going to do everything it could to, to make it really rough for both of those schools in every way imaginable. And because I, they're leaving the conference and they're taking – you guys take it here for a second, and I'll be back here in a second. Go ahead. Okay. Well, and as of now, to, to piggyback off that, they still have two more seasons before they depart for the SEC. Now, that, that's probably going to change where this will be their last year in the Big 12. But, I mean, that's – what are you going to do? You're on the way out, so they're not going to – we talked about it a little bit, but before Tom gets back here, because I know when Tom gets back, we're going to want to talk about Tom Brady to close the show. Uh, what were your overall impressions of the Big 12 schedule and how it all lined up? I was in favor of it. I'm excited. I think I, I wish UC got a trip down to Austin to play at Texas. I just wanted to do the horns down one time in Austin. Uh, but, no, I, I thought the schedule shake, sh shook out really good for UC. Getting Oklahoma at Nippert, I mean, I remember – in 2010, it was Butch Jones' first year, uh, UC hosted Oklahoma in front of about mm, 65,000 at Paul Brown. And Oklahoma was like top seven, eight in the country, all the way down to the wire and lost in the fourth quarter. To get those games at home against a marquee school like that, that is going to be something that I'm looking forward to. And plus, I mean, you can't get excited about the two lanes of the world, the Tulsa's of the world. Were you surprised that they didn't get a game at Paycor? No, I, I think that UC never wants to play at Paycor. Okay. I think that's – fans don't want it. UC doesn't want it. That The home field advantage at Nippert, and at some point in you know five years from now, you're going to have to figure out a way to add a, a small third deck on the other side. I don't know what that means for the Linder Center on the other side. Or maybe – for me – the way to make that stadium bigger and add more seats and cool, take that scoreboard, raise it up another level or two, and put two little decks above the Bearcat layer in that in that oh, north yeah. end zone. Yeah, that would be cool. But I, I don't think they ever want to. If you can avoid, the only reason they play games at, at Paycor now is because Miami, the Miami series, you've agreed to instead of playing in Oxford, play the away game at Paul Brown. So that your your fans get to travel ten minutes instead of forty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Because that might that's I'm gonna get heat for saying this. Probably it's time to just scrap that Miami series. They that brings nothing, absolutely nothing. You've won since Ben Big Ben lost or left. You've won every game. You've had some 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 close ones that you've had to squeak by wins. And I'm all for rivalries. And I know how long the victory bell has been going at it. But when you're playing in the Big Twelve, you only have a chance for three non-conference games. These are two things need to happen. That Miami game turns into the Eastern Kentucky, Southeast Missouri State game of the world where it's the, it's the cupcake to start the year or you get rid of it so that you can have a game in Atlanta against Clemson or a game where against – I'm, I'm just throwing out some random hypothetical non-conference games. But I think it's time for, for, the, uh, for the Miami game to go away. See, I'm not with you on that. I, I think because you're getting into the Big 12 now where you're going to get enough of those big-time games – that can vault you into a, a college football playoff, especially now going to 12 teams, that wh why play another cupcake instead of Miami? That's number one. Two, you, you go play Pitt. Maybe next year you substitute Pitt for uh, Oregon. 
Maybe you substitute them for, okay, it could be Clemson. That's fine. But that can be your one game out of conference. And let's face it. I mean, most of the big-time schools, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, those teams, they're playing one big-time team out of conference. Yeah. Michigan's the only big-time team that doesn't play anybody out of conference anymore. Um, so you're going to get enough of those games in the Big 12 that can vault you into the conversation of the college football playoff. I don't think you need to go play Clemson and, you know, but if you're going to say another cupcake outside of the one big game, keep it local. Keep some interest. So, uh, ne- so next year they host Towson and then Pitt here at Miami. 2025, Nebraska is a big non-conference game. See, that's what I mean. So, so I, why get rid of Miami? Either, uh, yeah. You're going to beat them. I know. I'd rather just have a, I don't know, someone. So you would have more interest in watching Western Kentucky come here than you would them no, playing I'm Miami? No, saying, I'm saying make Miami the Western Kentucky game and then add a another add another Power 5 game in. Instead of playing Miami and Western Kentucky, just play the one and then. Yeah, it, it does change with the 12. You don't need to add another power team. It does change now with the conference and the the power or the uh, the the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams. I get that. But once Oklahoma and Texas leave. Okay, now, now you're talking a different ballgame. That's fair. All right, listen. We only have about uh, nine minutes left in a program, and, and I want to get to the Tom Brady thing because this is, without a doubt, the biggest story in sports, and we haven't spent any time talking about it at all. Uh, it was this time a year ago he announced his retirement for the National Football League. He changed his mind a couple of months later, came back, played this year. Uh, he wasn't on a very good team. Uh, he had his ups and downs. His stats were still uh, amazing, uh, you know, the yards, the touchdowns, all that kind of thing at 45 years old. This was Tom Brady on social media yesterday. Hang on, we'll get it right. We got it. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Take that graphic off there, Brendan. Oh, sorry. There we go. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring. For good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured I'd just press record and let you guys know first. So I uh, won't be long winded. Like you only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year. So I uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me my family, my friends, my teammates my competitors, uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. Now I got to tell you. Good morning, guys. Uh, uh, I have talked to uh, all of you about this before. I've had the opportunity on multiple occasions to broadcast games that Tom Brady played in. I've had a chance to meet him multiple times. And I have always said, um, this guy's a real guy. He is not a prima donna in any form or fashion. Just because he was married to some supermodel, all this kind of stuff, he's got all these other things and business interests going on, that just makes him smart. He was never a prima donna. He never made it about himself. 
And I don't know how anybody in their right mind could, could, could badmouth Tom Brady. I really don't. You want to say, oh, he retired, he came back. Well, if that's the worst thing you got to say about the guy, okay, uh, he's divorced. Well, you know, a lot of people get divorced, right? Uh, well, he had a kid, but he wasn't married to. Okay, all right, that's happened before. You might even know somebody that's happened to before, okay? Um, th- 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 this guy, when he'd walk in a room, he'd be the, mo- he'd be the most handsome guy who walks in any room. He's the best at his job of anybody else of any room he walks into anybody he walks in a room with bill gates he walks in a room with warren buffett those guys got nothing on this guy he's a the the least he's the most unassuming guy i have ever been around in my life he'd walk in i'd be doing the games with troy aikman those were always the games that i ended up getting brady Right When Joe Buck would be doing the World Series, I'd fill in for Joe Buck, and we'd get, seemingly every year, a game uh, in New England, a big-time game against somebody. 17 divisional championships. 13, here we're talking about the Bengals playing back-to-back years in Joe Burrow 2. Put this in perspective a second. Patrick Mahomes played in five. Tom Brady, Brady played in 13 conference championship games, 17 division titles, 13 championship games, 10 Super Bowls, 10 Super Bowls, and he won seven. In every sport, you know, you have the, the, the one guy and then you say, well, then there's this guy. You know, baseball, you have uh, pick a guy, Willie Mays. Oh, you got Babe Ruth. Uh, pick Hank Aaron. Oh, you got Joe DiMaggio. You know, um, basketball, 99 out of 100 say Michael Jordan, but you could say Will Chamberlain. You could say Kobe Bryant. In football, and, and maybe somebody else comes down the road again, Nobody is Tom Brady. This guy, and you know the thing I always love about the guy, and, I mean, and, 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 and if he said this, it got, even got tiresome listening to him saying it. All he ever used to talk about was, man, I'm just trying to do the best I can. And wherever the chips fall, that's where they fall. And I'm not going to lose sleep at the end of the day if we won the game or lost the big game. As long as I know that I was all in in everything that I could possibly do, that I did the very, very best that I can. And the guy is is. I just can't say enough things about the guy. I'm not a friend of his. I haven't seen him in years. I don't talk to him. I have zero relationship with the guy. But I have been around in my life, thank God above, I have been around tens of thousands of professional athletes and just watch them do their job. And I'm talking about some of the giants in the history of sports. Going back to when I was a kid to the Pete Roses and the Johnny Benches all the way up until two years ago when I'm doing the NFL and Major League Baseball 34 years in baseball, 25 years in the NFL. Nobody 
was a bigger star and acted like less of a star than I ever saw in Tom Brady. Dude was absolutely, and is absolutely, he's an amazing guy. And, uh, and I wish him well. I mean, for you guys, thankfully, you're old enough to have seen his greatness. Now, there's going to be a generation coming up, much like Jordan. There's going to be a whole generation coming up where they may not know it. But you guys should consider yourself lucky for having seen him when he was still great. I agree. And it was fun to watch. Uh, I think I was like most fans that once he started winning a lot, I did not <laughs> like to see him win, but I appreciated the greatness that he was, and he is the GOAT. Oh, I hated the Patriots. I hated him. Hated him with every fiber of my being. And then, <laughs> and I, I mean, there's no... There's, I was being nice about No, it. there's no mincing words. I hated him. I, hate the, I hated them. But at the same time, when, when he got social media and he got a little older and we started to learn more about him, because for so long when he was winning, we didn't really know about him. He just went out there, he won, but he didn't... He wasn't... There was no personality. There was no personality. There was no connection to Brady. You didn't have this bond with him that now he's been so good at social media so good at twitter so he's been on tiktok he's got a great group of content creators around him that shine him in a good light he's funny he's a charismatic dude and to your point tom we as the as the outsiders we never really got to see that we never got to see that side of brady so when he just goes out there and shoves it down your throat with all the winning that he did <laughs> like you're right it's you got sick of it and then now he is such a a a funny guy to listen to and he's going to kill it in the broadcast. No booth. doubt. He's going to kill the it. The biggest contract ever, right? <laughs> yeah. He he's going to have a great career in the broadcast booth that I've done a whole I'm I can't imagine that I'm alone in saying that I have done a complete 180 on Tom Brady yep. and in really really respecting I always respected him as a winner, but just even more so as uh, somebody that can now connect with everybody yeah. on a different level. The I real really man. have enjoyed the last four or five years being able to watch him in that light. Well, I think that I think that they became almost like a a, a robot uh, in New England because yeah. he was head coach, right? Yep. And because of him, um, and 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 they just became like this machine that that everybody sort of looked at like we look at a machine, you know? It's just just. And just run right through you and run right over you every single time you play them. And there was no connection there, really, to any of their players there. I mean, I look at, you know, Teddy Bruschi now on television, right? And I mean, you know, I mean, I remember he's at the University of Arizona. We were living out there. And I mean, the guy seemed like he had a lot of personality. He goes up there and just, mm, he just falls right into that seat on the machine. It's just killing everybody. And like robots. And you're right. You're spot on about Brady. And now you're, you're starting to see who he, he really is, uh, the way he grew up. Uh, his mom and dad are decent, just rock-solid people. And um, he's a good dude. I mean, uh, he's thanking everybody else out there. And there are a lot of people uh, that had a chance to cover the guy that ought to be thanking him because he always he found time to make time and, and never big-leagued anybody. And I've been big-leagued, and a lot of people have been big-leagued, by a lot of people out there that, that you wouldn't think would big league. So, you know, um, hats off to Tom Brady. Congratulations. What an amazing career. Amazing, unrivaled career by anybody in the history of football. Did I steal our uh, cherry on top by that clip? Uh, you didn't steal it. We were, I just knew that we were going to close the show with Tom Brady. So that's... You know, why that's don't we run it one more time as oh. we say goodbye? 
Can we do that? Uh, let me pull it back up. I we'll run it fun. one more time. Um, fun fact, Tom. Do you know who is 1-0 against Tom Brady? That was actually what I was going to put. Oh, you are going to? I, I was going to. I already got rid of it. Oh, okay. So. Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati quarterback. Wow. 1-0 against Tom Brady. That's not what I was going to put up, actually. <laughs> I was going to put up that Joe Burrow had never uh, oh, Joe Burrow, had yeah. never lost to Tom That's Brady. That's two. That How was, about that? That was the other one. Joe Burrow, Desmond Ritter combining for 2-0 undefeated. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Tom Brady's definitely, I mean, I don't even have to ask. I just hit the button, right? It's got Leader it. of men. No question. Oh. No question, leader of men. One of the all-time great leaders of men. Tom Brady. Um, tomorrow, we're still trying to figure it out. We know that Tracy Jones will be here at 1130. The boys are back. Uh, oh, they are. Allegedly. Allegedly. Casey's, Allegedly. Casey's sitting here tomorrow. So thanks, everybody, for bearing with us. Oh, you did a days. phenomenal job. I mean, phenomenal job. Thank you, Tom. Thank, no, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Brandon, thank you. Gamer. Under the weather, hustling to get back. It's my flu game, as somebody said in there. I don't have the flu, though. So, Paul, you had the play-by-play -play last night of the women. Did they win their game, by the way? They Ooh. did not. Tough. Okay. They All did right. not. And tonight you'll be there, front and center, in-game host, yep. right? Yep. Are you be drip for that game or what? I actually did, yeah. I got a, I got a little new stuff, yeah, you know. Really? Yeah, Christmas, Santa brought some stuff. So, yeah, I got I got some got some new threads. The, the, yeah. ar the arm loose? Getting the arm loose, yeah. He throws it to the upper deck. It's pretty big time. Big time. Come over to Centos. So that'll be at Centos tonight. Toss. Big game without Zach Fremantle tonight. We'll see yeah. how it goes. You see at home against uh, Tulsa. Yay. And uh, we, one more time. We'll give you Tom Brady's goodbye to the National Football League. Forever live the great Tom Brady. Have a good day. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time. So when I woke up this morning, I figured I'd just press record and let you guys know first. So I uh, won't be long-winded. You only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year. So, uh, really, thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all.